0: It's green, Okay. Well, good morning, ladies. I am so nervous. I mean, happy, yeah. I meant to say happy to be here with you today. And actually, I'm both because I've never done this. I've never spoken in front of a group before. Well, unless you consider that first week of high school, my English teacher told us we'd all have to give a speech on how to do something, five minutes. And I was mortified, (laughs) Debbie's laughing because she was in that class. I was mortified beyond belief because I knew how nervous I would be. So I set off to the library to research how to give a speech without appearing nervous. And in the end, that was my topic. And I'll never forget standing in front of that class with my hands, tightly clutching those index cards, and my knees shaking like they were going to give out on me, and my voice quivering a little bit like it is now, and I instructed the class on how to give a speech without appearing nervous, (laughs) and the irony was not lost on anybody. Well, that was a five-minute speech, and I'm supposed to speak to you today for 45 minutes. Memorize the whole thing, so don't (laughs) worry. But there's one thing I know for sure as I stand up here today, and that is that when Christ has worked in your life, at some point, he's going to ask you to share his story. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And I know that God uses the nervous, the self-conscious, the uncomfortable, the crackpots, the broken vessels to accomplish his purposes and further his kingdom so here i am every one of those things before i begin sharing my testimony today let's just have a word of prayer father god thank you for granting me the privilege of sharing my testimony with these ladies today give me the confidence through your holy spirit to convey what it is you have helped me to prepare for you have Yes, you've helped me to prepare, and let Your Holy Spirit move so that my story may encourage these ladies here and point them to You. And it is in Your name I pray. So our theme for this retreat is seasons, and as I thought about that, I thought about three distinct seasons in my spiritual life: the season of religion the season of being a prodigal, and then the season of coming into a relationship with Christ. And my religious life looks something like this. I was born um, to two Roman Catholic parents. My father was born in the Ukraine, so he preferred to go to the Ukrainian Catholic Church But church was a big part of our social and educational life. It revolved around the church. We didn't just go to church on Sundays. Um, We went to mass every day before school. Then on Saturdays, we would go to the Ukrainian school for religious instruction there. Thursday nights, we'd be at the church for Ukrainian dancing lessons. And all of my siblings and I were... um, involved in scouting through the church all our growing up years. So you could say that we did church really well. And I know as a young girl, in school I learned about a holy God. And I learned that he had a son Jesus that loved me and had died on the cross for my sins. But I also learned that I needed to obey his commands and then participate in the rituals of the church to be forgiven when I didn't. I learned heaven was a place you worked your whole life to hopefully get to. In second grade, I made my first Holy Communion, and I will never forget walking down the aisle of St. Priscilla's Church in my white dress and veil. And I knew that it was a very holy moment. And I remember that from the gift money I received, I walked down the street, to the religious goods store and I bought myself this rosary still have it I wanted to have all the tools I needed to be close to God then I think it was in the third grade our nun passed out these devotional scapulas which I still have the way I remember it she told us that if we died wearing these we would go to heaven and I wanted the assurance of heaven so bad, I clearly remember thinking, I'm never going to take this off. When I die, they're going to find this on me. Well, as I moved into my teen and young adult life, things happened in life that slowly and subtly drew me away from my religious life into what I would call my prodigal years. My parents' marriage always seemed troubled, and they finally divorced when I was 13. Our family became fractured as my two older siblings had no relationship with my father. And although my younger sister and I kept up our relationship with my father after the divorce, he began abusing us as he touched us in inappropriate ways. Money became tight. My younger sister and I were now sent to the public grammar school. And as a fallout from her divorce, my mother was not going to church anymore and not really encouraging any of us kids to do so either. My younger sister and I would attend church occasionally as it was a time we would have visitation with my father. In my late teens and early 20s, most weekends were spent with friends living life in 3D, drinking and dancing at discos. What can I say it was the 70s? Well, I could say it was a time when I was working on my testimony. (laughs) When I was 21, I would meet the man I would eventually marry in a bar. I had been looking for love in all the wrong places, and unfortunately, I found it there. I overlooked many red flags because I wasn't looking through God's lens of what a husband should be. I was looking through my own. And all I knew was we had many common interests, like going to bars, drinking, getting high, and hanging out with friends that liked to do the same thing. The fact that he was nine years older didn't seem too concerning to me at the time, either. He said he loved me. And given the breakdown of my family, he really wanted to be loved. But before I married this man four years later, Both my younger sister and I were abused by my father one last time. And it was in his church on Father's Day. I was 23 years old. Not only did I refuse to see my father for the next 25 years of my life, but I rejected God for the next 10 years of my life. And when I did marry, I found myself once again in a white gown and a veil, walking down the aisle of St. Priscilla's Church, Only this time, there was nothing holy or sacred about being in this church. To me, it was just a wedding venue. At this point in my life, God was totally irrelevant to me. I was a prodigal, determined to live my life my way. As I look back now, though, I can see how God was in the process, even then, of drawing me back to himself. The Bible says... The shepherd would leave the 99 sheep to go after the one who was lost, and I would see that God would come after even an idiot like me. No matter how far I walked away, no matter what sin I became entangled in, God did not reject me. And one of the ways he accomplished this was by blessing me with in-laws who were strong Christian believers. My testimony today would not be complete without mentioning Daryl and Sally, two people that I believe God used so powerfully in my life. And even though I didn't know it at the time, they were praying for me from the minute I started dating their son. As I was exposed to their faith initially, I clearly remember thinking to myself, wow, these people are really religious. I mean, this was all new to me. I didn't know people who talked about Jesus in their everyday conversation. And the first Christmas, when they gave me a Bible, I was like, you're kidding me. Put it in a drawer somewhere. I mean, we had, I knew people had Bibles, we had a Bible at home, but I didn't know people who read their Bibles. They weren't pushy in your face, Christians, but I could see how they continued to show love to me Even though, I'm ashamed to say now, I was not the best daughter-in-law in those early days of my marriage. I thought they were misguided, naive, and clearly over the top with this Jesus stuff. My husband and I moved forward with our lives, buying a home, having a child. My outward lifestyle changed as I quit all those things that would interfere with motherhood. Drinking, smoking, getting high. My husband, a prodigal himself, was not so interested in changing these things. He was, like me, going to live his life his way. Even so, I felt capable of handling life. I had a good job, was hardworking. I felt I was a strong, competent woman. I thought I had all I wanted, a husband, a child, a home. Things I had ached for as I watched my family fall apart as a young girl. Well, I didn't know that a huge storm was coming that would consume the next 20 years of my life. But God did. And in his loving kindness, he put me in the lifeboat before the storm hit. I had the kind of supernatural encounter with God that he knew I would need to empower me and carry me through the very turbulent years to come. I was 33 when God spoke into my heart one day and changed my life forever. My son was about five, and I doubt any of us had been to church since the day we had him christened as an infant. Spiritually, I was at a point where not only was God still totally irrelevant to me, but if I'm honest, I even doubted his existence. And then one day, as I was in my bedroom making the bed, One December morning, God showed up and revealed to me that he did exist. Out of nowhere, I began to feel something just wash over me. And I remember saying to myself, God is here in this room. He does exist. It wasn't something I saw. It wasn't something I heard or felt physically. It was just something I came to know. And when I walked out of that bedroom, I was a believer. The amazing thing to me as I look back at that day is that I was not searching for God at that point in my life. I was not even questioning. But God, in His abundant mercy and grace, came after the prodigal, after one of His lost sheep. And I think that's what can happen when people are praying for you. When my husband came home that night, I immediately told him what happened. He wasn't surprised. He knew God could work in such ways. He asked me if I wanted to go to church or something. And I remember saying, well, there's no need to rush things. Let's wait and see. Part of me was afraid that this newfound faith might pass. But by the time a couple weeks had passed, I knew without a doubt that this was just not a passing thing. I needed to be closer to this God who was calling me to himself. So I returned to the church I had been raised in, and after about three months of going there, I knew this was not what I was looking for. I somehow knew I needed to be in a church where I would learn who the God of the Bible was. I didn't want rituals. I wanted a relationship. And I believe that's what can happen when people pray for you. Ladies, this is just, I want to encourage you, all those people, those loved ones that you have been praying for to come to know the Lord or return to the Lord, don't give up. Because I know from my experience, there is no heart God cannot change in an instant. My hope for my unsaved loved ones comes from remembering how powerful God worked, changing my prodigal heart into one that would seek after him. So, As I had as a child, I went looking for the tools I needed to be closer to God. But this time, it wasn't a rosary. It was a Bible. I read the Bible from cover to cover. And God worked supernaturally again. As I read his word, I knew I didn't understand a lot of it. But without a doubt, I believed every bit of it. I knew it was truth. I also started attending Willow Creek, where a close friend of mine was going. The funny thing is, when this friend had told me about a year before that she was reading the Bible and started talking about Jesus, I can clearly remember thinking, was a little nuts. I mean, my in-laws were old. Old people went to church. But this was the same friend I had been out drinking and dancing with. Well, I'm telling you, as I started attending midweek and Sunday services at Willow Creek, my mind was blown away. I could not believe that there were all these people, and young people too, who would come to church with Bibles in the middle of the week, in addition to Sunday. And what I began to learn there was the food my starving soul needed. It was here I first studied the verse from Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And also, what is my favorite verse in the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. They were saying to me that salvation is a gift. It's not about total obedience. There's no church rituals I need to follow, no hoops I need to jump through, no scapular insurance plan. It wasn't my religion or my good works. No, all I had to do was admit my sin and receive through faith God's forgiveness and the free gift of salvation through his son Jesus. I could have the assurance of heaven. And I learned what it meant when people held up those signs at athletic events, John 3, 16. I hadn't known it was a Bible verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I heard people talking at church about God's righteousness, and I wondered what that meant. And slowly I learned and accepted the truth that through the work of Christ on the cross, his paying the penalty for my sin, that if I were to simply receive the gift he offered to me, the righteousness of Christ, his holy, sinless nature, would be imputed to me, and I could stand faultless before God. This was amazing stuff. In fact, I felt like John Newton wrote the second verse of Amazing Grace just for me. Tis grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. It was God's absolute grace that showed me how far I had moved away from him. And it was God's grace that removed from me the guilt I had for walking so far away from him. And it was God's grace that brought me into a relationship with him. It was as Ephesians 2.13 says, now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away from God are now brought near. I was baptized at Willow Creek that year and I began my walk with the Lord. I know my in laws continue to pray for me throughout this time. And I know they were especially thrilled when, one Christmas, I asked them for a Bible. I wanted the really nice one, the leather one where they put your name on the bottom. And I love that they wrote in here that it was from mom and dad and that they gave it to me Christmas Day in 1999. Thankfully, God started to change me and helped me be the daughter in law to them I should have always been. So, while my in laws were happy for me, my husband, however, was lukewarm about my newfound faith. As it meant now, I wanted to live a different kind of lifestyle. I wanted to raise our child in the church and I wanted my husband to come to church as well. He said he didn't like large churches, so he looked for and found a smaller church near a home. But in the end, he wasn't really interested in attending church regularly, as he really didn't want his lifestyle exposed in any way. He would go for a while, but then always fall away before anyone got too close. And my own family? well. Wow. They thought I was taking this Jesus thing a little too far. They didn't mind if I had a little religion or a crutch, if that's what I needed. But the way I was letting my faith change my whole life seemed over the top to most of them. Now they thought I was the one who was misguided, naive, and clearly over the top with this Jesus stuff. By this time, I was into what I'd call the third season of my spiritual life the season of a relationship with Christ. I was beginning to see that where religion couldn't hold me, relationship would. And my relationship with God was the anchor for my soul. And I was going to need that anchor because God was about to test my faith and grow me. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 explains that sometimes we experience trials so that our faith will grow and Christ will be honored. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. My test was going to come through years and years of struggle in my marriage. Within weeks of my conversion experience, I was suddenly able to see and accept that I was in a very dangerous place in my marriage. God walked me out of the place of denial I was in enabled me to take an honest look at it. I was married to a Vietnam vet who was eventually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and self-medicating with marijuana and alcohol. He was all over the place emotionally and often angry. He isolated himself and basically moved into the basement of our house for most of our marriage. He couldn't seem to hold the job for very long and left the responsibility of supporting the family to me. The money he did manage to earn was used to support his addictions. Knowing I loved my husband and that God could change him as he had changed me, I sought help from every place I could think. I spent years and years seeking counsel Secular, Christian, Biblical, I went to Al-Anon, I attended Bible studies, joined women's groups looking for ways to cope, I did a year-long study with two dear friends on the book The Excellent Wife, which was excellent. I knew I was in way over my head and I had nothing in my background to prepare me to deal with what was going on in my marriage. Most importantly, I made it a habit to spend time with the Lord almost every morning, reading the Bible and journaling. For almost 20 years, I kept prayer journals. During my quiet time, I would read the word, and I would feel God speaking to me. And then I would pour my heart out to him in my journal. I was beginning to see what a vertical relationship with God looked like. And in this process, I felt assured of his presence in my life that he would never leave me nor forsake me, that he would give me the strength to persevere no matter what came into my life, that through him, no matter the difficulties of that particular day, week, or year, yes, there would be difficult years, there was always reason to hope. And I hung on to the verse at that time from Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. Ladies, I cannot express enough the power of journaling, especially when going through difficult seasons in your life. It saved my sanity. It probably would have made this testimony a lot easier to put together had I not decided to shred all my journals a few years ago. But I journaled as my husband plunged into the world of pornography. I know many women know and can understand the pain that this causes. It consumed him. He isolated himself even more in the basement. He was only too happy for me to leave the house and go out with friends so he could have the freedom to indulge in this sin. I journaled as my husband continued in his addiction to marijuana, and I wondered how he would tell our teenage son I journaled as he became more and more angry, refusing to make changes in his life and dumping all of the stuff he couldn't deal with on me in endless arguments that went nowhere. There were many times over the years I would think divorce was the only answer. But God would remind me he hates divorce and I should stay the course. I also knew I didn't want my son to feel the pain of growing up in a broken family as I had. And then the Lord would put women in my life to help me along the way and encourage me to do the next godly thing. Now, in order to paint a proper picture, there are a few things I have to add. While not feeling compelled to be a good husband, he did try to be a good father as best he could given his struggles. He always involves himself in our son's activities. I've often said... He may have been high at the time, but he did show up. And it's necessary to share with you ladies that during this time, I failed God over and over again. Many times I knew I was not acting like a godly wife. I felt like my life and marriage was so out of control, I fought back by trying to control every aspect of it instead of letting go and letting God be in control of it. I was often resentful and angry myself through those years. I knew I was called to be respectful to and love my husband as an act of obedience to God. I often excused my behavior by saying, Yes, God, but look what I'm living with. A man who works to support his addictions, who has left me with the responsibility of paying the bills. You can't expect me to love and respect a man like that. Yes. I struggled with that and failed much. And through ignorance and inexperience, I enabled my husband in so many ways, allowing him to continue in his sinful lifestyle. I think that in my failure to submit to God during these points in my marriage and often refusing to change myself, I had to keep experiencing the same trials over and over. So I took the Excellent Wife class again. It was excellent again. And I learned the best decisions I made in my marriage were the ones where I followed Christ and his leading. When I did what God asked me to do despite my circumstances, it was then that I felt his pleasure. We sought marital counseling many times, secular, pastoral, By this time, my husband was being treated for his post-traumatic stress through the VA and in several psychiatric meds. But he also continued to self-medicate with marijuana and alcohol, and the mix was not good. There's no doubt that at this time, God was trying to draw my husband back to himself. Two incidents in particular occurred during the years that at least for a period brought him closer to God. He had a car accident that resulted in him having brain surgery, and then he had a stroke. These were times where it would seem surely he would finally surrender his life to the Lord and change his lifestyle. And he would for a while, but it was always short-lived, and then his addictions would draw him back. It was during this time he agreed to go with me to a female Christian counselor, a good friend of mine hadn't seen. We went to some sessions together for marital counseling, and then at times we went separately. But during our sessions together, I could see this counselor was allowing my husband to spend long periods of time yelling at me and berating me. I really felt she did not have control of the sessions and was not doing our relationship any good, so I ended my counseling with her. But my husband continued to go on his own every Saturday morning for six years. At first I thought it was good that my husband had a health professional he could talk to. He was struggling with so much. He had few friends, and he wouldn't talk to me. So I wasn't too alarmed when the weekly Saturday morning visits also started to include midweek phone conversations. And when he started attending the same church as she did, part of me was glad that he was finally going to church willingly without me dragging him there even if it was not the church my son and I attended. To add to my husband's struggles, during this time both of his parents died within a year of each other. This sent my husband into a tailspin in a downward spiral of increasing drug use, drugs beyond just marijuana. The pornography was overtaking him and he was unable to cover up its grip on him. Through his inheritance, He now had money to indulge his carnal desires even more than before. I prayed that this Christian counselor would help him see the ways he was choosing to deal with his pain would lead no place good. But I began to suspect something was not right. I couldn't figure out what. For almost a year, I prayed that God would reveal what was amiss with this counselor. And one day he did. After a week away, visiting my sister out of state, I was downstairs in the basement doing the laundry, and I felt God leading me to look in the garbage that was right there. In it, I found a crumbled-up letter he had written her. It was clear from that letter they had expressed feelings of love to each other. And while I thanked God for answering my prayer and revealing the truth, I felt so betrayed by both of them. I came to find out this was an emotional affair that had been going on for years. Well, what followed was horrible. When it was exposed, the pastor of her church became involved, the pastor of my church became involved, other Christian counselors became involved. She was instructed. She could not see or talk to my husband anymore and I saw my husband become somebody I absolutely did not recognize. I was told he was calling her and leaving messages on her phone, one day calling her 16 times, begging her to call him back. He tried to coerce me to return to marital counseling with her, not that he cared about our marriage, but so that he could see her. It took him well over a year to accept he was not going to see her again, And I sat and watched my husband mourn the loss of a woman he loved. Let me tell you, though, ladies, what kept me going during this desert season. Always, 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 God's love and grace surrounded me, encouraging me, assuring me, providing for me. I learned that it would be crucial for me to focus on what God had given me, to practice the discipline of gratitude, and not focus on what I didn't have, for his tender mercies were still all around me. Lamentations 3, 5-6 through 6 was the first piece of scripture I ever memorized, and I said it most mornings. And this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, that the steadfast love of the Lord is never ceasing, and his mercies have no end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I could be grateful I had been given a good job, a career that has lasted 38 years. I was able to provide for us despite my husband's lack of contribution. And I could be grateful for the health that enabled me to get up every day and go to work. And I was so grateful to be able to raise our son. I'd always wanted more children, but they didn't come. And my husband wasn't really interested in pursuing any of the options open to us to see if we could have more. So I enjoyed and was grateful for every single minute I had watching my son grow up. I was grateful, too, he was an easy child to raise. I was grateful for the women friends the Lord put into my life. He blessed me with many godly Christian women, so I wouldn't start thinking it was a new man I needed, but that it was more of himself. Many of them are here today. Some aren't. But always, there was someone to call, someone to encourage me, someone to remind me to trust God's plan for my life. I was grateful for God's grace that I was able to reconcile with my father after 25 years. When his wife called to say he was quite ill, God immediately laid it on my heart that I needed to forgive him and witness to him. I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him, And from his response to it and the way we prayed, I believe he was saved before he died. But more than anything, I was grateful for God's mercy the night my 18-year-old son was involved in a car accident and we got that middle-of-the-night call that every parent dreads. My son had been working a summer job down in southwestern Missouri. It seemed he had been on a dark country road when his car literally flew off the road into the air and the roof of his car crashed into a tree kind of like if this was the tree the car flew off the road and hit it like that and the roof of the car collapsed over him the caller told my husband it was serious there was a lot of blood and then he was airlifted to the nearest hospital I will never forget my husband and I kneeling at the foot of our son's bed, begging God to spare our only child's life. And thankfully, before the night was over, we were able to hear our son's voice and know he would be okay. When we arrived at the hospital the next day, we learned my son's injuries were a broken clavicle and a severely scarred hand. But we were relieved beyond belief as we had quite a different picture painted for us the night before. As we were in his room that day, a call came from a man checking on my son's condition. He told me he had been in the car behind my son the night before, and he was the one who had called the emergency services. He told me that beyond the tree that stopped my son's car was the edge of a deep ravine. And had that tree not been there His car would have flown into that ravine, and it might have been a long, long time before anyone even knew where he was. He also said that while he was waiting for help to arrive, a car filled with young people came along. They stopped, got out, put their hands on my son, and prayed over him. And as they began to pray over him, my son regained consciousness. I thanked him profusely, telling him that as parents, we always want to be there when our children are in harm's ways. But God God sent his angels that night through this man and these young people to watch over my child on that dark country road. So much to be grateful for. And yet, for reasons I didn't understand, I didn't see God answering my prayers to heal my husband, free from... Free him from his addictions or restore my marriage. His parents had left him a not so small inheritance as well as their house in Kentucky. After years of being content to let me support the family, he now saw this inheritance as his alone. He used much of the money to feed his carnal lifestyle, which escalated greatly. He escaped down to the house in Kentucky as much as he could. And he talked about moving there, alone. It was his chance to remove himself from a marriage he no longer wanted to participate in. Ladies, I fought hard to keep my marriage together for many, many long years. I never, ever wanted to be divorced. But married to a man who would not invest himself in our marriage, either emotionally, financially, or really in any way, and who refused to listen to the counsel of very caring Christian men, as well as biblical counselors, to deal with his addictions and work at repairing our relationship. After 25 years of marriage, I told my husband I wanted a divorce. It was an incredibly painful and devastating time, of course. I know that's why God says he hates divorce. I felt I failed God I felt like I was losing my family, or at least the family I pictured I would always have. And I grieved for my son, who would now have the same legacy I had of parents who were divorced. There were times I didn't feel it, but I believed Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When God works all things for the good of those who love Him, it doesn't change the past, but it changes the story we tell about it. And I've shared with you the story of a beyond difficult marriage, but I also have to share with you what I believe about it. And that is that it was through that marriage, faced with problems I myself could not handle, that were way beyond me and my self sufficiency and very importantly, having the in-laws that I had praying for me, that I came to have a relationship with Jesus. And if that is the only way my stubborn, prodigal heart would finally see my need for the Lord in my life, then I'm grateful for it, and I would do it all over again. That's not to say I didn't have a lot of questions for God. I wondered why he didn't answer the 20-plus years of prayers that were offered up to restore my marriage. Surely that was a godly request. Why did my husband have to remain in his addicted lifestyle despite all the people praying for him? And why wasn't he, who was raised knowing Jesus, brought back to the fold? That's also not to say I didn't fight with a lot of things that wanted to inhabit my empty heart after my divorce. I wish I could tell you I rose up every day confident that God would be all I needed for that day and trusting him completely. But I didn't. At times I looked at other things. Oftentimes I let food be my comfort. James 1-2 says we are to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. So, I was to consider a pure joy when I heard that within two years of our divorce, my ex husband is engaged. And I was to consider a pure joy that my one and only child is now moving to California. And I am to consider a pure joy that I'm now living alone in a house where my family used to live. But James goes on to say, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature mature and complete, not lacking anything. The truth is that God was trying to show me he would use all the disappointments and sadness in my life to grow me into a mature Christian. It was not about my disappointment. It was about his appointment. So... I looked around my familyless house, and I asked God to show me how I could use it for his purposes. And he allowed my misery to become my ministry, as I started a women's small group in my home. And many of these very special women still meet in my house every Thursday night, five years later. And I'm so glad that you are here today. I also started coming to this church and found a new family, my church family. Jeff and Vicky loved me and were like my family when I needed one, as were many other women in and outside of this church. God provided sisters in Christ to be his hands and feet, to walk beside me during the hard years after my divorce. God also showed me I needed to forgive, to forgive my ex-husband and release him from anything I felt he owed me. And when I thought I would never be able to do that to somebody who had hurt me so much, the Lord reminded me I could, if I remembered that he died for my sins and offered forgiveness to me when I was so unworthy of it. Well, somebody reminded me recently that there are four seasons, not three, as I've shared with you today. So I'm looking at the season of my life that I'm presently in and seeing that although it continues to be a season of great change, it's also one of great hope. I love what Joel says in chapter 2, 22 to 25, which coincidentally refers to seasons. It says, Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains and righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. I love that verse. I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. The lost years, the painful years, the fruitless years, the selfish years, the rebellious years. I believe God will restore those years for whatever time he grants me here on earth and for the life I know I will have with him in heaven. Well, ladies, I'd like to bring my testimony to a close by saying everything in my life is just going fabulously. (laughs) As we all know, real life just isn't like that. There are still struggles, both within myself, and for the ones that I love. I'm still in the midst of God's sanctification process. But walking with him in faith, my story, even the worst parts of it, is caught up in what I know he is going to redeem. And I still commit to being grateful for and focus on the ways he continues to bless me. I don't take for granted the help that allows me to work and provide for myself, I am grateful for new relationships he has brought into my life. I am grateful for the family that he has provided me through this church, my small group, and other dear sisters in Christ. And I am extremely grateful that though I may have lost many things over the years, I never lost faith in him. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 says that God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others when their trials arrive. The Christian journey is not insurance against being hurt or facing pain and disappointment, but it does ensure that we can experience the deep comfort of God, and that then enables us to offer comfort to others. I like what Sarah Young says in Jesus Lives about 2 Corinthians 4:6. She writes, the very things that trouble you most, your weaknesses and wounds are of greatest use to me in helping others, for I have shown into your heart the light of the knowledge of my glory, and this much light and glory simply cannot be contained within you. Your wounds and weaknesses provide opening through which some of this glorious light spills out of you into this world. So I pray for all of you here today that may be feeling defeated, that need a word of hope in a desert season, or that are just hanging on by a thread, that this morning you would find a word of comfort and encouragement. And I pray that you would be reminded that there is no place God will take you that he will not also take care of you. And your wounds and weaknesses will become openings through which his glory can shine through. And for any ladies here that have not experienced the joy of an intimate relationship with Jesus and would like to know more about him, as we've said, please talk to me, Vicki, Faith, Alicia, or any of the ladies that will be back in the uh, prayer room when we're done. And with that, I'm done. And I believe I'm supposed to close this.